When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger, and I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. We're going to do Fan Mail Friday, where the questions actually come from you, of course, and we'll do our best to get you answers, advice, and good old-fashioned tough love slash horseplay to make it happen. And today, I kept it a little bit lighter because, man, last week, Jason, we had Linda Carroll on the show. We had some pretty heavy-duty questions happening. It was a bit brutal. It was a bit brutal, yeah. I wanted to keep it a little bit like, hey, can I not need therapy right after the show this week? Can I not need a drink and, yeah, slash therapy, slash a nap? I really just want to do a fun one or at least one that's not based on severe, severe, severe trauma and going to leave me with residual trauma. So (laughs) that's what I tried to do today. I didn't need uh, as much rehab as uh, I usually do after checking the old Fan Mail Friday inbox there, which, by the way, is Friday at JordanHarbinger.com. So let's just get into this, shall we? All right. Hey, Jordan, I've been a listener and a fan of the show for about three years now, and I really enjoy your content. I'm sending this because I need some advice. I'm a small-town guy from Texas, and I used to really love life in the town and community. Recently, I've found myself really unhappy with pretty much everything about it, especially my job. I make decent money, but the environment and people are absolutely horrible. I've recently made the decision to save up and move to Colorado to quote-unquote start over and just get away from everything for a while. I really think it would be good for me, and I'm excited, but at the same time, a little part of me wonders if the unhappy side of me just wants to say screw it and leave when in all reality, all I may have to do is change jobs. That being said, there aren't very many job opportunities around here, so there are negatives either way. Also, if I do go through with this and move, can you give a little advice on starting over in a new place? Well, we do have that around here. I really love the show, so keep doing what you do. Thanks, Traveling Tyler. All right, Traveling Tyler. Yes, we have advice on this. Episode 400 was a long time ago. However, it is called Moving to a New Town. It is a toolbox episode that we did with AJ and Johnny over at The Art of Charm. And this was, we did it a long time ago. The advice is still just as valid. It's about recreating social circles, recreating personal spheres of influence when you move to a new place. I think it's okay to move even though it might be the job. Of course, we're going to link to episode 400 in the show notes, so go ahead and download that, or we'll you'll find it linked up in here. I do think it's okay to move, though, even if you think it might be the job. I think there's a lot of things you should evaluate when you're about to move, right? The friends you have, the places you go, the social circle that you have. There's lots to evaluate here. It's probably not just the job. I'm wondering why Traveling Tyler thinks it might just be the job. You should examine that, Tyler, because if you think there's a chance it might just be the job, you should write down, don't just do this in your head while you're driving or something, write down why you think it might be the job. And if you come up with other ideas, well, I also feel really limited by the social circle that I have. Oh, well, also there's no clubs for 
these things that I really love and I always have to drive an hour and a half or go out of state to do that. Or, yeah, and also this lifestyle that I live, you know, all these people around me are kind of judgy when it comes to that. You have to write those things down, too, to evaluate whether it's just the job. Do your best to imagine you had a different job, regardless of what that is. You don't even have to think about what it is. In fact, you shouldn't because you don't want to think, well, if I was a professional football player, this place would be great. You have to think, I, I'm just not doing what I'm doing now. Say that you won the lottery, but you still live at home watching Netflix all day, right? Is, that, is your problem solved by not going to the office, not doing that work? If you're still lacking, you're still feeling stuck, then move. And Colorado's great, but a move won't solve all of your problems because wherever you go, there you are. You bring that stuff with you. But it is a great way to start over. Moving is a great way to reinvent yourself, which might be what you really need to do. You just need to be very careful and evaluate whether or not moving and reinventing yourself and getting a different job is going to solve the problem. Or if it's like, oh, I make really unhealthy lifestyle choices and I need to do that. Oh, I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not getting enough exercise. Are you going to move? And then instead of having a mediocre social circle, you're going to have none for a while. Right. What's going on here? Is it going to make your situation better or worse? You can decide that, but you should journal this out. You should write this out and you should game this out with both the positive and negatives of moving and getting a different career. I'm not doing this to scare you off, but I am doing it because I think a lot of people think, well, if I only had a girlfriend, if I only had a different job, if I only lived in a different place, if I only had cooler friends, I would be happy. And that is not true. But if you're kind of happy, but your job is terrible and the environment you're in is terribly negative and you don't feel like you're moving forward, then yeah, it's the job. But you need to decide that before you take action or you might just end up bringing your steaming pile of problems with you on over to Colorado and burning a bunch of ground there and money and time there figuring out that that's not it. And look, worst case scenario, you move and you end up in the exact same place emotionally or in the same place as your career. You just found out it wasn't the job and it wasn't your town. So there's a lot of pros to at least taking action in this direction. I just want to make sure that you're not doing something that's going to put you out or have you lose time in developing yourself and your career and then find out that that wasn't the solution. And a little practical tip on the moving side as someone who's done it quite a bit Go spend some time where you're thinking of going. Oh, yeah. Like, not just a weekend. Go go scout it out and try and spend at least a week there, bouncing around, getting to know the place. Because it, on the surface, you know, a couple days, it might seem like the greatest place on the planet. Then you move there, and you find out that, oh, that was just about as much entertainment as I could get out of this place was two days, and now I'm stuck here. So definitely, you know, get some boots on the ground and really dig deep, because the worst thing you want to do is get there and find out that the place is not what you expected it to be. Well, yeah, it's like Vegas, right? You go there yeah. and the first day you're like, I'm so glad I'm not at home. And then the second day you're like, whoa, Vegas is so fun. And then the third day you're like, oh, okay, there's lots of stuff here. And then the fourth day you go, well, I'm never staying for four days again. This is terrible. I'm so dehydrated. Even if you're not drinking. Yeah. You're just like, it's dry. It's expensive. The noise, the smoke. I got to go. The people. It's really just the people. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's the people. All right. Next up. Hey, Jordan, I'm so appreciative for all that you do and for the community. The knowledge and tips I have gained from you guys has helped so much. I may be one of the younger listeners you guys have. I'm 17. Most relationship advice you give applies to romantic relationships, but I'm wondering if you have any advice that I can apply to a younger sister. I drive her to school every day, 40 minutes down and 40 minutes back. 
I feel like I should be in charge. I buy her food, driver, etc. I'm two years older, so this makes sense to care for her a little bit. However, she refuses to let me take the adult position, and she's very argumentative, passive-aggressive, and wants to make it so I don't have my way, even if it seems reasonable. When we get home, she gets mad at me when I make any noise when she's trying to do her homework or when I'm even present. I feel like we have a good relationship only when I'm out of the way. I can be overbearing at times, but I feel like there needs to be a better way to solve this issue. What can I do to strengthen the relationship and make it better when I'm around her? I would love to feel good about our relationship before I go to college. I know it can't be solved immediately, but I would change anything to make it better between us. Let me know if you have any suggestions. Best average brother. Wow. 17 years old, wrote me a really intelligent letter, cares about his sister, wants to develop a relationship and understands that emotional health is important. Man. Solid kid. You are no average brother. But yeah, you are not average, man. You are not average at all, especially if you're taking care of your younger sister. And this is a tough one because I don't have any siblings. And so this could be a little bit naive here. But I would say it's time for a heart to heart. There's something else going on here. Maybe she doesn't have the tools to communicate effectively on an emotional level. Maybe she has some safety concerns. And I don't mean physical safety. I mean, maybe she needs to feel safe. This, to me, seems like she's got some teen angst happening, but it might be beyond that. I would see if she has something that's going on. This is really tough. Not asking what's up in her life too personally. You know, you don't want to come across as parenting in that way. But I would say, look, I feel kind of sad that you really don't want me around. I understand that you want to do your own thing. I'd love to have a great relationship with you before leaving for college. I'm really going to miss you. And don't expect a certain response, right? Because you might not get what you want. It might hurt your feelings or you might get angry. Just let her know that. You can even write a note to her with this and say, hey, you know, I, I know sometimes we don't get along. I just want you to know I really care about you. I'm really going to miss you when I go off to school. It makes me feel bad Sometimes that you don't want me around, but I understand. I just want you to know how much I care about you. It's a little weird because you probably aren't used to talking like that with your sibling. And I think teens might be terrible sometimes, but they're not made of stone. And I think you'll feel better writing that because at least then she will know how you feel. Even if she crumples it up and throws it away or says, you're stupid. Why'd you send me this? I think you'll feel better having said that. And there's something else going on here. I just can't put my finger on it. Jason, what do you think is, what's going on here? What's your opinion on this? Well, I saw something similarly recent with a friend of mine who uh, just got married and got a 15-year-old stepdaughter out of the deal. Yikes. And from what Average Brother is saying, to me, it sounds kind of like a basic case of the 15s. His wife also has a 21-year-old daughter, and she's been through this and told him to ride it out and just take it because it was just a phase that passed in in her first daughter. So he waited it out and didn't take her behavior personally and didn't take it out on her. Uh, which could have irreparably damaged the relationship. And it hurt him that she was basically a jerk to him for a few years, but she eventually grew out of it and their relationship is great now. And it was just something that she was going to between like 14 and 16, just being a teenager and just wanting like her space and just to be left alone. I, you know, teenagers are teenagers. They can be tough sometimes and it might not be anything super deep, but you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of feel it out because it's, it, we're not there on the ground, so we can't really see it, but I just know from personal experience, it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm here for you. I'll do anything for you. I'm not going to get down on you. And when you come out of it, I'll still be here. And that's what happened. And it worked out great. Yeah. I mean, I was an absolute nightmare as a teenager. And I think average brother is just, you're so much more mature than a 17 year old ever is because you have more responsibility that you're probably feeling 
what an adult would feel yeah. versus because if I were 17 and my 15 year old sister was being a brat, I'd just be like, you suck at life. I hate you. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to college and never want to see you again. You're such a turd. Right. I, I would I would just be like that. But he go he's feeling bad because he's more mature than I was at that age by a decade. Right. So. Yeah. So you're taking it in a way that she's not really equipped to deal with. Like she's probably like, get away from me. You're disgusting. And instead of being a normal 17 year old and going, you're disgusting. You're going, oh, no, my sister doesn't love me. And it's just not the case, I'm sure. Yeah. But there may be something else going on here. Maybe she's got some stuff that is unaddressed, as a lot of teenagers do, and I, I just hope it's not serious. I'm wondering what the parents are like. Are they around? I'm wondering if they had some trauma, like this is a divorce thing that's gone unaddressed. Because if it's just a busy family and he's driving his sister around, that's one thing. But if it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we live with our dad and he's at work for 20 hours a day, there's probably some other stuff going on. There's some other issues going on. Definitely. Good luck with that, Average Brother. I think you're probably going to be just fine. I wouldn't stress about it. You can write her a note if you want to. But I think that probably everything is situation normal over there, unless there's indicators that something isn't. All right, next up. Hey, AOC. I feel like I'm in a funny place as I grow and maintain my network. I created my own form of decision mapping from the book Essentialism. But I still feel overwhelmed by requests. The problem with that is that people tell me they want me to serve in a leadership capacity or speak in an event in order for me to drive revenue to their thing. This may range from sponsorships, donations, or ticket sales. How do I manage promoting my products and services and my other sort of obligations to my network? I feel like I'm challenged with the balance between leveraging great opportunities while increasing my demand. I feel that I am bombarding my network with all of these requests tied to money. Any tips and advice will help. Networking Nelly. Hey, Nelly, this is an easy one. We teach this in our social capital program. This is the core of what we teach here on the show, what we have in our social capital product in the masterclass, ABG. Not ABC, always be closing, but ABG, always be giving, always be generous. So what we mean by that is give without the expectation of anything in return, which it sounds like you're doing. Don't keep score, which is a concept we've talked about a lot on the show because that creates covert contracts, which creates expectations in other people's head, uh, which causes a problem. But here's what you're not doing from the sound of it. You're not evaluating opportunities. And a lot of people confuse keeping score with evaluating opportunities. So they're not the same thing. Evaluating an opportunity and saying, is this worth my time? You're exchanging value at that time. You're helping without the expectation of anything in return. They don't owe you anything later. It's not the same as I have to do things that are not useful for me because otherwise I'm a bad person or I'm not being giving enough. There's a difference between doing something that's going to put you out, like take an hour of your time in order to reach 12 of their podcast listeners, even though they haven't launched their show yet, blah, blah, blah. That's a waste of your time. Doing work for somebody that's going to take you hours or a long time to set up, that's a waste of your time unless there's a goal in mind for it. You can help them in other ways besides putting yourself out or taking up too much of your own resources. If they're asking you for an introduction, go ahead and do that. That's not really an obligation uh, for you. You're not telling them, oh, this other random person in my network will design your site for free. But you have to be careful about something like, hey, will you volunteer for our bake sale? Will you come over on Friday and help me move? That's giving, and it can be great for doing the giving thing without the expectation of anything in return. That said, you're going to burn out yourself and your network if you just take everything 
all the time. Protecting your time is not the same as being stingy. And giving without the expectation of anything in return is not the same as accepting every single request that comes across your desk. And I think I also know networking Nelly personally, and I know she's in an internet marketer info product niche. 99% of the people in those industries are bad news. They're takers, not everybody, most are takers, they want something, they're trying to get access to you, your people, your network, climb up the ladder, climb up the food chain. You're gonna have to work your way up the food chain, building your platform, doing the right thing. It takes a long time, giving value to your audience. Then you'll get around more great folks in this niche. I know a lot of people in that niche that are amazing. They're at the top because of the position of the podcast allows me to network and get in with those people. But the bottom of that field is just heavy with takers and time wasters. So you gotta be very careful who you associate with or you will end up being surrounded by people who just want something from you and are never going to be able or never even want to help you in return. And that's that's bad for your social capital, it's bad for your sanity, it's bad for your schedule. It's not the same thing as always be giving. If I have people in my network that are takers, it doesn't mean I will never help them, but if every single person in my network is just take, 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 I'm gonna burn out. So you have to be very careful about the types of people that you're around that you surround yourself with, or you'll be ABG all right, but you're gonna just burn yourself completely out. You should have some sort of exchange. The point is you don't have to make it even and you don't keep score on an individual basis, but it doesn't mean you take all the opportunities even if they're terrible and you know that this person's just using you. So I hope that makes sense and that distinction is clear. Requires a little practice, but it needs to be said because I think a lot of people who are very giving and very generous will give, 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 and get taken advantage of until they think this stuff doesn't work, Jordan's full of crap, and it's not the case. It just depends on the company that you're in. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. All right, next up. Hi, Jordan. I've been trying for the past year to connect with coworkers who don't want, or it seems, any part of me. Please keep in mind I'm not trying to be friends, just share pleasant conversations and get to know each other. In the beginning, I was new, and since my company doesn't have formal training, I needed to ask them a ton of questions to learn. Although they would answer, they made sure our conversations stayed strictly work-related and that I left soon after. 
They weren't mean about it, but they indirectly made it clear that I had to go. Generally, our relationship goes like this. If I don't say good morning or ask a question, we don't speak. So I thought maybe I need to make more of an effort. I go out of my way to say hello every morning and receive nothing. Just a sharp, hey, as though they are being forced to respond. Or sometimes once every day or so, when we are slow, I just stop by one of their offices just to check in. But when I try to have an individual or group conversation, they just flat out shut down on me with sharp responses. Now I'm starting to give up. I walk straight past their offices saying nothing. I don't ask them questions anymore, and I've been here long enough to figure out most things, but when I need an answer, I just ask and leave immediately. My question is, at what point should one just throw in the towel? Now that I don't make an effort, a week can go by without speaking. Sometimes I say good morning, but only if I'm in the mood. It's clear that if I don't make the effort, we don't speak. For the longest time, I thought my lack of social skills was the problem. But over my year of working, I got another part-time job as a waiter to improve my social skills and found out my skills aren't as bad as they appear to be at my day job. I'm not as socially awkward as they make me out to be. I'm just a 20-year-old black man working with 40-year-old white women. I guess the age and race gap make it difficult for them to find interest in me, but I'm tired of trying. Thanks for your time. Outcast with skills. So this one kind of makes me a little bit bummed because I and I don't want to I don't know if it's racist or or they're just bad people or they're just not sure what to say to you. But it sounds to me like they're just being horrible. Yeah, they decided they don't like you for whatever reason as a young punk. I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, it's because they don't like African-Americans. Who knows? They decided they don't like you. You are a bad cultural fit for this company. And what I mean is that company has crap culture that tolerates this kind of bullshit. Really, that should not be. That is terrible. You should try to get a new job. And I don't I don't mean working only with people who are of your culture or something like that. These people have some issue. I hope it's not your ethnicity. I could also see it as an age thing, like I said. But frankly, they just seem miserable. They probably hate their lives. They hate their jobs. Unless you did something to them and we just don't know and you didn't put it in there because even maybe you don't know. Yeah, and you know, maybe one of their kids was up for the job that you got, so they kind of banded together to just make life miserable for you so that you'd leave and then the kid could come in and take the spot. You just don't know, but it could be something like that as well. Yeah, I mean, we could speculate all day, right? Yeah. We have no idea, but it doesn't sound like you did anything. This is strange and unacceptable behavior. You owe it to yourself to switch jobs. And trust me, I have stayed working with a-holes for much longer than I should have in the past. And once I left, I wonder what the hell took me so long. I would say bounce ASAP. You deserve better. Don't worry about what it is that you're doing in this situation. It sounds like you've already explored that. And even if it was something you did, you need a fresh start. Even if you went in on the first day and you whizzed in all their coffee mugs, you still need a fresh start because this is not going to be good for your sanity. I know what it's like to work in an office where people are miserable and they just don't care what their attitude is like. You can't stay like that for long. You'll drive yourself crazy. And in your 20s, it's way too young to be having to deal with crap like that. So, yeah, even if you did crap in someone's Cheerios, get out now. Yeah, I mean, you're you can switch jobs. You can take a different stint in your career. And look, this type of thing will be bad for your career long term if you put up with it for too long. It's not like you're 60 and you've got a partner that you got to put up with for five more years and then you can retire. You've got your whole life ahead of you. Why are you going to be around people who are not going to have your back and not going to help you move up in your career, but probably do the opposite? Ugh, no, thanks. Now let's hear from a guy who is too fit. Cry me a river. 
Hey guys, I have a strange problem that is definitely a good problem to have in some ways. I'm in pretty good shape as a six foot three, muscular 210 pound guy, despite the fact that I've barely been to the gym in the last year. I was a lean 230 pound power lifter and rugby player before this. People I've recently met and am in the process of making a first impression on often make comments on my appearance, like calling me a beast or ask questions like, how often do you go to the gym? Firstly, I feel they're probably judging me to be a certain type of person based on my appearance, but there are two other issues on the social skills side. One, I don't really like talking about my physical appearance, as I'm sure most people don't, so I get kind of embarrassed and awkward about it. And second, when people ask me about my actual training, the fact that I haven't really trained properly in the last year makes me feel guilty about still appearing to be in good shape, and the conversation can get kind of awkward. Do you have any tips for dealing with this? Suggestions for one-liner responses to comments like, you must work out a lot, or damn, this guy is a beast, etc. would be appreciated. Thanks, more than a body. So I'm just sort of, I'm kidding here, of course. This is a high-quality problem. But, you know, whenever you have a problem and you feel self-conscious about it, it's a real problem. I would say there's a few ways you can handle this. One, you can banter it away, right? So you use banter to get rid of it. You can self-deprecate or something like that. So if someone says, man, that guy's a beast, look, you're huge, you could say, ha, thanks, but as we know, time is the great equalizer, so we'll all be talking about our fit days in a decade, and then you can just change the subject. Um, if people ask about what your workout is, you can say you just generally stay active, if that's true, but you don't really lift weights much. And you can also say something like, well, I'm living proof that diet and genetics are most of the story. Number two, you can ignore that. That might be more awkward depending on the context, and then you could just change the subject, or you can go into talking about something else right away. Or third, you can deflect it. So if they're like, man, you're huge, you could say, hey, man, takes one to know one, and then just kind of do a fist bump and then go about your merry way or change the subject. I think you can redirect the conversations. Most of these people are just trying to be friendly. So they're using low-hanging fruit to start conversation because it's easier. If it's the first thing that's noticeable about you, they're just going to say that. You know, if somebody has a ton of tattoos, you might say, whoa, man, those are some serious tattoos. Or you might, if somebody's got a bright, giant necklace or something like that, you might say, dang, that, that's some crazy bling you got there. Or if someone's wearing a bright green suit, you might say, wow, that suit is really loud. What's going on here? That's the easiest thing for them to start the conversation. They probably, some of those people don't really care about what you do in the gym. They're just trying to relate to you. So find another subject to relate on after you dispense with the first one, using the banter, ignoring it, or deflecting it, and you're good. I wish I had that problem. You and me both, brother. If this is your first time to the Jordan Harbinger Show Fan Mail Friday, it's a great sample of how we operate here, but by no means a full helping of all the show has to offer. Listener interaction is one of our favorite parts of doing the show in the first place, and our typical content is much more in-depth with well-known top performers in their field. We work to unpack their methods, their theories, and their hard-earned insights. These are people you either know or you should know, and we'll use that longer interview format to help you understand what steps and processes they used, which helped them become successful. Then, we distill those concepts to help you apply them to your life. 
For a great place to start, check out some of our most popular episodes at theartofcharm.com where you can find the best of, as well as our fundamentals toolbox, which includes what we like to call the basics of mixed mental arts, including topics such as reading body language and nonverbal communication, the science of attraction, negotiation techniques, networking and influence strategies, persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here on The Jordan Harbinger Show. We'll send all of this to your inbox. Just go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. For a list of all of our amazing sponsors and discounts, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now, back to Fan Mail Friday. All right, next let's hear from this guy who thinks he's bad in groups. Hey guys, after hearing some of the insightful responses from your team, I thought I would reach out myself. I work for a senator as a field representative in the state they represent. My job is essentially maintaining relationships and networking. That being said, I feel like I'm decently charismatic with the individuals I meet when I'm one-on-one. However, my difficulties come when I attend announcements, networking events, or group meetings. Generally, these events have small standing roundtables set up so that a few people can gather around them to talk. I frequently find myself suddenly looking around to find everyone already gathered at the tables and I end up standing by myself. My question is, how can I approach these groups and begin talking with them without appearing as if I'm interrupting or simply coming up and awkwardly standing there without being able to add anything? Any help would be very appreciative. Thank you for your time. Signed, Charismatic Loner. All right. So I understand Charismatic Loner's problem here. This is what I call the magic touch both people on the back trick. (laughs) I haven't taught this in a really long time. I know it's a really catchy name. Yeah, nice name there. Good branding. Essentially, when people close off a group and you want to break into that group, what you can do is walk. You know how I'm going to try to get you to visualize this, Jason, because otherwise it's going to be so confusing for everyone. So imagine you're standing shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people around a little round table and there's no real gap for someone to come in. What he can do, especially since he represents one of the senators and, you know, he's a person that they notice that they see is there. This works even better. He can walk up behind those two people in the separation between them. So there's that non-gap where your shoulder's touching someone else. If I put one finger or two fingers on the back of your shoulder and two fingers on the back of the other person's shoulder, they will both naturally turn outward and they will open up automatically. It's really amazing. It happens every single time. And even if both people don't do it, one person almost certainly will. I can't even remember a situation in which this has not worked, okay? Then when they turn, you say hello, or maybe you say, oh, I'm sorry, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to join you over here. And they'll probably say something like, oh, I was just talking about ABC. And then you can listen to the rest of their thought. You can eventually introduce yourself. I do this all the time time. In fact, I don't even do the whole, I was, I'm sorry to interrupt thing. Most of the time, if I think people are just chit chatting, I'll do the two fingers on the back and I'll say, Hey guys, I'm Jordan. Nice to meet everybody. I just walked, I just walked in. I hope I didn't miss anything. Or I might say something like, Oh, Hey guys, I just wanted to join you guys over here. Hope you don't mind. And usually people are like, Oh no, it's fine. Very rarely. And I mean like once in my life, someone said, Oh, actually this is kind of a personal conversation and I just say oh I'm so sorry and they're like no 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 it's okay come back in like 20 minutes we'd love to meet you so it it really people don't spend a lot of time in public figuring out how to ostracize other people they just naturally close around the table because that's how much room there is they will open up for you do not stand behind people awkwardly for a long time you lose social value and I know a lot of people are like I don't care about being cool 
It's not that. It's a subconscious process. If you stand behind people for a long time, you're going to make the people who see you feel a little awkward. They're going to be less likely to open up. They're going to be less likely to listen to you. They're going to be less likely to be persuaded by things you say. And I feel like that's part of your job as a representative for a senator in a state. I really think that would be bad mojo for you. Nobody expects you to not interrupt. If they're at a social event or in a group like that, it is par for the course just don't interrupt and then take over the entire conversation immediately because that'll come across as self-important. This will be a habit you need to form. Otherwise, you're going to start feeling guilty or nervous about doing it and talk yourself out of it. Do this. The magic touch both people on the back trick. I'm telling you, it is largely foolproof, and you will be welcome in almost every single one of these groups that you join. I bet you you can do this all year, and you'll find zero to one groups that react strangely as a result of you doing this. So I, give that a try. Let us know how it works for you, because I, I guarantee this is, the, what is, this is one of the few things, few techniques that I guarantee you will work like crazy forever. This, is, this thing is one of those bulletproof ones. I've seen you use this in the field, and it is like the Red Sea parts when you just tap them on the shoulder, and it's like, or the gates to Mordor open up, and you can go find the ring. But I've seen you do this when we were at conventions together, and it, it's magic. It is absolutely magic. Yeah, it's it's really crazy how easy it is. People think, oh, I can't talk to them. And this, I'll admit, this came from the days in my 20s when I was trying to figure out how to break into groups of women and talk to them. And it's just the light touch on the back, and they will open right up. And they're like, oh, hi, done. You don't want to be in their psychological space, like right up in their face. But if you do that with your arms out, kind of almost straight out, not awkwardly straight up, but arms straight out. They'll, by the time they turn around, there's enough space for them to feel comfortable. You don't want to do it with your hands three inches away from your shoulders, and then they turn around and you're like right in their face. No, that's so you bad. want to give them a little bit of, yeah, you want to have your arms kind of outstretched and do this. And then they'll both turn around and you go, hey, guys, and you just make eye contact with everyone in the circle, and you will look awesome for doing that. And the, what's funny is nobody even notices how you broke into the circle. I remember doing this for a really, really long time and quizzing people afterwards, after I became kind of buddies with them and going, so hey, scale of one to 10, was it awkward when I broke into the circle? And they're like, oh, you broke into the circle? I thought you knew Cheryl. No. <laughs> oh, and Cheryl goes, I thought you knew that. No. Oh, you didn't even know anyone? No, I never met any of you. Whoa. And they don't care at all. They're more amazed, like, holy crap, you just walked up to this group of people and opened it up and now we're all having a drink? How did that happen? It, trust me, this is like a superpower. Nice. All right, let's hear from a guy who just found out he's that guy. Hey guys, great job on your toolbox episodes. Thank you so much for all the amazing insight you all have graciously given away for free. I've had so many aha moments while listening. I've worked my way through the toolbox and I'm starting over at the beginning and plan to listen through again and again, most likely. Unfortunately, one of those aha moments came as a gradually unfolding self-awareness as you guys discussed various red flag personalities when I realized, gee, I'm that guy they're telling people to run away from. This kind of sucks which actually explains a lot. I know that I can change these areas of my life by applying the principles you guys teach in the toolbox, and I intend to. However, I was wondering if there's an archived episode or if you could make a toolbox episode regarding what to do if you find yourself being a red flag. All the networking and filtering skills in the world aren't going to help if the quality people around me are looking at me as someone to be filtered out, and more importantly, if I'm someone who should be filtered out. How can I alter my thought process and behavior patterns to avoid being the red flag guy? Thanks. Red in the face. This is actually really good. Yeah. This alone, this realization alone 
is progress, actually. I know it's it sucks because it's one of those things where you think, oh, wait a second, I thought I was doing really well, and I'm totally not. You feel like you're going backwards, but you're not. The realization, the self-awareness is the progress. You're spotting something most people think doesn't even apply to them, which is actually a huge step and very necessary to move forward. So don't beat yourself up. Give yourself a little pat on the back for finally realizing this and then not rejecting the realization because it made you feel bad. So listen to the toolbox, theartofcharm.com slash toolbox is where that's going to live for a while. Apply what you learn. Things like ABG, Always Be Giving, The Value, Networking, Social Capital Course, those things will help you grow and change at the core of who you are. It's not an overnight fix, but it is a process, all right? You're further along in the process. So now you're seeing a more accurate picture of yourself that you did not see before. And the good news is these are skills and habits that are learnable and they are teachable. And this is what we do here on the show and in our products and in our programs, of course. So start journaling your progress. I think that's going to be important for you. I want you to start journaling your progress and these realizations so that in a year or in six months, you can read those and you can see how far you've come along from right now. Because you're feeling a little bit low, I can tell. So journal this. You'll see how far you've come. It's always hard to get a dose of reality, but this is something that once you see it, you can start to change it. So congratulations on that. Onward and upward. Documentary of the Week, Weird Wonders of the World. It's a BBC series. It's actually not a documentary. It's like a documentary series. It's all about crazy natural phenomenon. There's a power plant in Nevada that uses light reflected off these huge mirrors in the desert. They aim at this vat of water, I guess, and it boils it and creates steam, and that's how they generate the power. But birds and other flying things fly between the mirrors and the focal point in the middle, and they immediately burst into flames and smoke. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they couldn't figure out what this was. So that was in there. There's these glowing larvae. Uh, in there that hang in caves and they catch things by glowing. There's genetically modified goats that have spider DNA so that they end up creating milk that has the spider web protein and they spin this into really, really, really strong rope and violin strings, which is just insane. There's also something called face blindness they go over where this woman can't recognize anyone, including her own kids. There's even one about parasites that control animals' minds. There's this rat parasite that gets into cats, or it's a cat parasite, really, it makes rats aggressive. So the rats chase cats, and then, of course, the cat kills it and then eats it, and then it gets into the cat where it reproduces, which is just nuts. It's like this crazy natural phenomenon. Uh, and then these guys, they created some sound device that extinguishes fire. There's a, something called a fire tornado, which is a firestorm tornado. I Have you heard of this, Jason? There's so many cool natural phenomena in this series, Weird Wonders of the World. It's on Netflix. It's just some of the stuff I just think, what? How is that real? I have not heard of this, but I have definitely added it to the queue. Man, there's so many things in here, and each one's like an hour long, and there's two or three things in there. All kinds of crazy stuff that you I'd never seen. I'd never seen. They do a really good job. It's not just like... This is a tornado. It's really crazy. Oh, this is lightning that goes to another cloud. It's like, wait, this is real? How is this real? Uh, Firenado was particularly interesting. I mean, there's just a ton of good stuff in there. So check that out for sure. Weird Wonders of the World. Hope you all enjoyed this. Don't forget, you can email us Friday at jordanharbinger.com. Note the address change. The Fan Mail Friday inbox is no longer at The Art of Charm. It is Friday at jordanharbinger.com. 
You can get your questions answered on the air. I keep everyone anonymous. You can either make up your own funny name or we can do it. If you have feedback for the show, we are fans of strong opinions loosely held. We love to argue like we're right, but we listen like we're wrong. So don't be shy to hit us up over here. A link to the show notes can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF145. Quick shout-outs to Travis Chappell, met in Australia. Fan of Art of Charm, he's moving to Vegas to crush his water sales business. I think it's funny because it makes total sense that you'd have to sell water in a desert. How did, how did more people not know about that? I think you're going to be a rich man, Travis. And I want to give a shout-out to my buddy Nick Rave. He's an AOC fan for a long time. He had some cancer on his leg. He's getting blasted with radiation to get rid of that. I hope you're on the mend now, bro. Are you in a strange land listening to our familiar voices? If so, hit us up. We'll shout you out. I'd love to hear from you either way. I'm on Twitter at The Art of Charm. Great way to engage with the show. I'm also on Instagram at Jordan Harbinger. And you're on social media. Jay, tell them where to find you. I am on the Twitter at JPDef and on Instagram at JPD. And as always, you can check out my tech news podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Go to GOG.show to find out more. Also, don't forget about The Art of Charm Challenge. Go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. We're teaching you how to be a better networker, giving you a boost in your social capital and your charisma. It's unisex for both guys and gals, so check that out. That's all at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Now, stay charming, get out there, and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them.